Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 149 for May 29th, 2023. I'm going to do a quick rundown of tonight's show, and tonight's show is titled A Furry on My Computer. First article for tonight is going to be paper for plastic, then a Chinese barge is in on a British warship wreck. Fast tracking your location. Uh, I mean, order. The writing is on the wall. Joe's secret small parking lot conspiracy. Asiana Airlines to stop selling exit row seats. That'll solve the problem. Check out those buns. NASA has new space images. Deep Space Cadets Argue, Manhattan Henge is today, wait, today, no, Tuesday. It's the next couple of days, depending on when you listen to this, or it's in your past. And Fuzzy Wuzzy was a computer case. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello, I am Marwat, that is hometown.com. And up there, up in the sky. No, it's a bird. It's an AI. Good evening, hometown citizens. (laughs) Oh, and my visualizer matches. A little bit. Yeah, it's not directly on target, but we're working on it. Um, Yeah, today snuck up on me. So uh, instead of dragging out the preamble, let's just get straight into today's show. We've already got selected 11 articles. Um, we are finalizing the build of uh, a new feature. Well, an extension of a feature. Already have another feature on deck, um, but that one's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, but hometown is looking pretty good kind of speedy uh, you know without uh investing in a whole lot of hardware it's not going to get any faster than it is now um but you can still swipe things away if you're logged in this stays permanent if you're not and you just refresh then it will snap right back to where we were before um but i guess in a way it's saying you should sign up and become a citizen of Oaktown. Just sign in right there or sign up right there. And when you first get there, it'll tell you log in and swipe. Swipe left to save, swipe right to ignore. Other places like apps, dating apps in particular, use this kind of a thing, but it's swipe right, I guess. Um, I don't know. I'm not in the dating scene. Um, but apparently, if you swipe right, it makes a connection if the other person swipes right. Well, in this case, you're swiping left to save that memory, that article, something that you want to remember, you'll be able to go back. And we don't have it listed here while you're not logged in, but there's gonna be two additional pages. Um, One that says, this is what you're saving in history, and this is what you're ignoring. So for now, um, you'll just have to uh, log in become a citizen that said we have another feature and we're not going to be introducing these things every single day just a little bit of warning there um i know that you're 
waiting with bated breath to hear about the features um, on hometown. But um, we have the podcast that gets updated every time a, uh, a podcast gets potted in the cast. I, I don't know how I'm, I'm not very good at this. Um, and you'll also be able to go to the past elections and the daily elections and vote for your articles. The things that you find interesting that we end up talking about in here. We have all of the election time, but huh, we'll have to look into that. Yeah. So vote, 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 vote. Um, that said, you ready to go on to the articles themselves? We might be able to get through this really fast unless I start soapboxing. Oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> I'm ready. All right, let's go. The very first article, which I think is cool and it's moving us away from the thing that I think is an impending um, impediment on uh, the health of society and that's plastic and this is in the Hatch Ideas channel I think it's BBC sourced yeah and um, the title of this article is Mars Bar Plastic Wrapper Swapped for Paper Mars Trials Environmentally Friendly Paper Wrappers for Some of Its Chocolate Bars I honestly I don't see why that shouldn't be the status quo um because the plastic side of things is just kind of proving to be a, a an issue with microplastics penetrating more and more of the well the world from the dirt that we walk around on to our food supply we are getting permeated with microplastics that don't degrade for thousands upon thousands of years and maybe it will be to our detriment if we keep on using plastic to this level. Um, and science is showing that that's exactly what's happening. Um, as these microplastics do everything from reshape water flowing through uh, our soil all the way to our um, food supply. Founded in fish, founded in animals, founded in humans. This is pretty bad stuff, folks. So it says um, Mars bars have been given a new look with recyclable paper uh, wrappers instead of plastic. It's a part of a pilot trialing uh, more environmentally friendly materials for Mars Foods chocolate bars. The new package will be rolled out at 500 Tesco stores in the UK from Monday. Um, the move follows chocolate rivals Nestle which ha has been using paper packaging for Smarties since January 2021 and on some quality street sweets since uh, 2022. This is interesting. I didn't realize. So I have a weakness for Smarties. I've always known that they've, I, I swear it's been longer than that. Maybe it's not Smarties. Maybe it's Sweethearts. It's Sweethearts that have paper yes those have had paper i think for many many years but also this might not be in the u.s it's possible that this was done in the uk yeah well this is this is definitely in the uk um but i'm thinking of the candy that i eat here in 
in the US that um, already has paper. Smarties have always had that plastic paper. Plastic, yes. Yeah. Um, so it rolling out, I would love to see Smarties with a paper wrapper. Um, yeah, that, but their, their, their color and, and what they, what they actually look like inside the wrapper has always been like the draw to them. You know, oh, those are Smarties. Um, you would have to see the name Smarties. So it says nine of 11 quality street traditional sweets move to paper-based products. I don't think we have quality street here. Um, but I think that's great. Uh, we should be moving away from single use plastics where they actually get blown away and they uh, end up not in even landfill. It, it gets blown out into waterways and then it gets pulled down into uh, either lakes or um, out to the ocean. Um, but the idea that people actually maintain a hold of these tiny little pieces of plastic or that they stay trapped inside the trash cans when the wind blows them open, these little pieces of plastic just blow out or people just throw them away, throw them out, um, just drop them because they're small. But when you're consuming 25 of them at a time, you know, maybe just me. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, this is interesting. And uh, I think more people, more corporations should be doing this because it's really the corporations that are mandating this. You know, if we can't, if the corporations can't find an economic solution for this, then they need to make one. Take a bigger hit on your bottom line. Find a solution and get us away from plastics for stuff like this. Did you see something? Yeah, I was wondering what the scale of this would be because I know Mars makes a lot of chocolate um, and this change will make 200 million bars per year carbon neutral in the UK, Ireland and Canada, which is spectacular. <laughs> 200 million. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, I like this. I really do. And But this is just one candy bar, right? Or, or not just one candy bar. Well... It's one line i'm of not sure bars, right? i can't tell if it's actually just the mars bar or it's their whole line but i'm hoping that other manufacturers follow suit and see oh i mean and consumers can ask their favorite suppliers to switch to paper or other non-plastics uh, wraps yeah so they say here that uh, the RSPCA says that the problem with single-use plastic waste is that it does not break down, and that will only and that it only breaks up into smaller and smaller parts, which impacts environment and wildlife for many years in the future. That's what I've been saying. So it's good to see that they're moving further and further away. This also is on the heels of this. This kind of hints at something that um, I read in a research paper and subsequently found in Ohm Town, um, and we talked about it, which was that um, takeaway packaging. Um, so takeout packaging or, or takeaway in the UK, um, th that packaging is actually very, very prone to um, breaking up into microplastics. And so they're doing away with that as well. So we are slowly moving the needle away from uh, single use plastics, which I think is a tremendous benefit to, uh, basically life because it's just turning out to be a horrible, horrible thing. Um, unfortunately 
everything else is encapsulated in plastic in some way it seems around us um but we're we're looking for solutions right um fundamental science folks that's what we need to pay for and i just realized that the date on no it's not it's right weird anyway um you want to did you read anything else or do you want to move on to the next article I don't have anything else to add. I just think this is a great move and I hope more companies follow suit. Gotcha. Um, let's go on to the next. So Malaysia detains Chinese barge on suspicion of looting a World War II British uh, warship wreck. This is really interesting. Um, Malaysia's maritime agency says it has detained a Chinese registered vessel on suspicion of looting two British warship wrecks in the South China Sea. Well, it's got their name on it, so obviously everything in it is theirs, right? Um, I, so, I can't make out the connection between any of the <laughs> countries in this article, but I guess we'll see. Did it say in the last article a name? I don't think it did. That must be no. why I missed it. Yeah, I didn't see it. Okay, well, let me give credit to the uh, Malaysia uh, detainment. Um, it's an AP article over at abcnews.go.com. And um, they have a picture. It's an AP picture of an undated photo released by the Malaysian Maritime Enforcement Agency, or MMEA, on Monday. Um, and it shows scrap metal and an old cannon shell on a Chinese registered vessel after uh, being detained by the MMEA. So I guess they're just trying to get scrap metal of some kind, but that's some, I was going to say this without laughing, but that's some heavy lifting to get some, you know, wreck metal. Uh, there has to be other sources for yeah. that kind of stuff. It seems like there's more to it than just metal. So they talk about it. Um, the ships were sunk in 1941 by Japanese tor torpedoes days after the attack on Pearl Harbor. I just recently stumbled across a statement that Pearl Harbor wasn't the first uh, ship sunk. Uh, I in saw that, that as well. Uh, but I didn't read it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to go back and, and find out about that. Um, it says there, and they, they just kind of go off and talk about other things about this. So I'm not quite sure um, what exactly was going on. It just says that the vessel was detained, registered in Fuzhou, China uh, on Sunday for anchoring without a permit off Southern Johor State. It said that there were 32 crew members aboard, including 21 Chinese, 10 from Bangladesh and a Malaysian. Um, maybe you, they were just vacationers. And they were taking souvenirs like a cannon shell. Um, and it says that it was not the first time that the two shipwrecks were targeted. Uh, the New Straits Times reported that foreign treasure hunters used homemade explosives in 2015 to detonate the heavy steel plates on the ships for easy pickings. So I guess it's for souvenirs. I guess hmm. so, but I don't understand the connection of Malaysia to this other than it must have just been off the waters of Malaysia. So it says here, uh, known for 
Known as pre-war steel, the material from the two warships is valuable and could be smelted for use in manufacturing of some scientific and medical equipment. Um, Pre-atomic weapon? Could that be it? I have no idea, but that's really intriguing. Huh. Like, now, why did why was steel different before the war than after? It must well, have been manufactured I mean, in a different way. It is manufactured in a different way. I actually know of somebody that has like 1800. They purchased something like 24,000 tons or something like that of 1800s era railroad track because it's fundamentally different than modern steel and they're actually making axe heads about uh, out of it and other items in the future um but i don't recall exactly why they really appreciate that steel um i just know that they do and i think it has to do with the mill and they're no longer making it like that anymore it's like a heavier carbon um, grade steel uh, so interesting uh, but I don't think the cannon shell is going to be something that is going to be smelted down and used into something else uh, it's a pretty dangerous game that they're playing maybe it's waterlogged who knows uh, you want to go on to the next article though sure this next article is interesting because um just uh, today uh, kind of came to the discovery that uh, we were being tracked. Um, although we were a willing participant in this tracking, we're not going to throw the, the company under the bus here, but um, the, 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 the situation was that um, we were picking something up and uh, you're supposed to click on a box to let them know that you're there um, and it wouldn't accept it uh, no matter what, including actually being in the lobby. Um, but it was interesting because it basically kept on saying, you're not close enough. You're not close enough. You, you, you can't be here. You, you can't possibly be here. Um, and then while we were talking to the inhabitants of the establishment, they too said, oh yeah, it's quirky. Well, McDonald's and Chick-fil-A are tracking your location to make sure your fries are perfectly crispy when you come to collect your mobile order. That's right, folks. Meals on wheels. It's they're tracking you. If you're not close enough, they won't give you that particular batch of french fries. They want to they want the the penultimate uh french fry to be ready. And then they give you the ultimate if you can get there in the right time sequence. Otherwise, you'll get just a little bit older, have to wait a little bit longer. But Well, and hopefully the app knows when you're actually there as opposed to our experience <laughs> at the other place. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Because uh, you're kind sitting of there going, I want crispy fries, and they're like, no, the fries. You're you not know here. I mean, like, well, then you're getting uncrispy fries if, it, if it's too much off. <laughs> Sorry, you're not here. Sorry, you're not here. Well, it could be like the other restaurant where um, when uh, I went to pick up an order, 
they were like, oh, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. And I was there for 45 minutes and I'm like, you know, where I and people were asking me about the order. And I said, well, you know, I've been waiting and they're like, oh, it's just not ready yet. And then somebody walked by and said, it's right there. <laughs> and it had been sitting there for 40 minutes. <laughs> well, I didn't know because I'm not the one that put the damn thing together. Well, anyway, um, at least McDonald's and Chick-fil-A are hyper vigilant about your location. Um, I'm sure that we can all appreciate a really good McDonald's fry and a vanilla milkshake. Um, yeah, I don't do that all that much anymore, but that's okay. At any rate, McDonald's and Chick-fil-A are tracking the locations of customers who place mobile orders. Their restaurants use this data to make sure that orders are ready and still hot when the customers arrive. McDonald's is currently piloting this feature while Chick-fil-A is rolling it out this summer. That will definitely help with the lines at the Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah, Chick-fil-A is notorious for being really close to the roads uh, and in situated in such a way that their lines back up so far that it clogs the intersection. <laughs> so this article is over at businessinsider.com by Grace Dean. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't go out of my way for McDonald's, like burgers and stuff like that. The fries, though, uh, I sometimes get a McDonald's fry craving that I'd probably gnaw off my leg if I was a, caught in a bear trap. Grace Dean, again, over at Business Insider, put the article together. What do you think? Do you think this is going to make a fundamental difference? Well, it could. I mean, if you had French fries sitting there for 20 minutes or something before you picked them up, they wouldn't be really what you wanted. But I don't know. I, I kind of wonder with takeout orders and it being such a fast-paced environment and lines at the drive-throughs, I have a hard time figuring out how this is going to work because I feel like people are going to get there and their orders aren't going to be ready or people that are at the window, like the sequencing is going to be all off. Yeah, or somebody's going to have to be just hyper vigilant about the proximity and and that ping is sometimes la uh, delayed, you know, I mean. Well, uh, and then it's taken away from time for other orders. I mean, right. so I don't know. Are they really trying to move everybody to pre-ordering on the app? I mean, maybe that's where they're going because I'm thinking if I'm just driving up at the drive through. Yeah. They're I'm not grinding. getting that. I might have had something sitting there for 15 minutes that they hand me. But it seems like they're grinding through their food pretty damn fast, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, most, most of these are pretty high volume locations yeah. unless maybe it's in a very small town. Yeah, the churn's pretty legit. So it says while it's still in early de days uh, deploying this new digital enhancement Initial results are already pointing to improved service times and elevated customer satisfaction scores, according to Borden, who told investors. Okay. If uh, that's the CFO, Ian Borden, saying that things are looking up. So uh, their data is across a larger swath. So I guess if it makes that much of a difference. Um, well, I, I didn't realize this. Apparently, 40% of their sales are through app kiosk etc 
I would have thought it would be much slower. Yeah, look at that. Or via delivery service. And I keep getting told it's outrageous, the markup now for delivery service. I actually have ordered um, delivery a few times where I'm using not the restaurant's service, but a proxy service because the restaurant itself doesn't have one, right? So I don't want to say the name, but... Um, yeah, but there's a couple of main um, companies that do this. Yeah. Third-party delivery services, basically. It, it is third-party. And so what ended up happening was like the restaurant had a fee and the service had a fee and I tipped. And so it ends up being like Ticketmaster where I get a convenience fee and, uh, oh, you're going to print your own ticket fee. And, uh, oh, we got you by the grumblies fee and yeah, whatever. Um, at so, that point, I'd just rather go and get it myself because I yes. can't justify paying as much in fees as I am for the food. <laughs> yeah, I'm dwelling on the fees so long. I might as well just go get it fine. Anyway, it said that it's already tested the feature at 100 U.S. restaurants and found the customer's wait times were on average reduced by one to two minutes. Okay, right. but what I really want to know is how do they match the food with the car and all of that. I mean, I get, yeah, okay, they're tracking your arrival time, but do they have signs on the fries? Like, this is gonna be the car that's 500 feet away. <laughs> like, it just seems weird. I can't huh. figure out how that matches up. I'm gonna have to go into the local Chick-fil-A and just pretend to be a customer sitting there, but I'll be eating, but I'll still be gathering intelligence. Like, how is this actually working? How is this manifesting? Because I have not done that, obviously. I, I <laughs> This doesn't rise to the level where I'm going to be paying that much attention. Um, until now, I thought that it was just you show up, you say, hey, I'm order number blah, 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 and you grab your stuff and go. Save one to two minutes. I guess it adds up when you have 10,000 people chomping at the Well, bit and to... when you're five minutes late to work, you might appreciate that you move along a minute faster. <laughs> I guess so. All right, let's go on to the next article. This will be interesting. So you want to be a writer, huh? Writing for TV is nothing like you, quote, probably thought. It's not really a quote. It's in parentheses. You got to be more precise, accurate and precise. Uh, what's it like to write for TV? Not merely as fun as you think, writers tell us. So this is an article over at the Washington Post. Samantha Cherry and Ann Brannigan wrote this. Um, and um, okay, I'll be honest. I, I read a little bit of this because I was really curious. I don't know how much writers for TV shows make. You know, how much do you make? Um, well, I scrolled down. This article it, does say I was surprised it had some actual figures in it. Yeah, it actually does a, a little bit of a deep dive here. Let me throw this into the chat um, as we go through this. So if you're curious, you can uh, read it. Um, so and please, Twitch, fix this. I want to know who's in my chat, at least uh, a valid number, because I keep getting told that there are people that are in my chat, um, but most people alert. There aren't there aren't a lot of people necessarily chatting until you get like a some critical mass and then people are chatting. Um, but 
apparently people just never know until I don't know when, but anyway, um, so this article about writing and, uh, that you probably don't have your facts straight. It says here that it might even look that way on paper that up here, right? You can make millions and you'll be filthy rich, but it says here, it might even look that way on paper. And, um, with the lowest paid TV writers in the union earning at least $4,154 per week of work. That sounds really high till you think about a really short season. And then I, and that's actually what I was thinking about. Well, wait a minute. When did the seasons, when did we drop? Well, it has information in here because I actually did preview this one because I was curious about what this was about. Um, but it talks about it going to eight or fewer episodes. And I swear so, this happened before streaming, quote unquote, took over. But streaming hasn't been the biggest hitter in 10 years. It hasn't been dominating the market or changing the tide for 10 years. I don't think it went to the really short seasons until streaming because there were still regular TV shows that had multiple weeks, even as recently as say 2023. But the streaming shows were the ones that were coming out with these really short seasons. Like I think it's all about streaming in that area. Interesting, because that's exactly what they say in this article, right? Um, This may be $4,154, which if you were working 50 weeks a year, it would be a tremendous amount of money, right? You're talking about 20K a month or 16K, you know, depending on the total, whatever. Uh, So every 28 days, you're you're talking about $16,500. $17,000 a month. Okay. But that's not what you're doing. <laughs> you're you writing. You might be working two months. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you're really in a writer's room that's smashing out eight articles, then you're not working for even a month because you could be very effective at writing the material. It just flows. So why are they getting paid per week instead of the estimated benefit of this gig, whatever it might be. Well, so that's interesting because this talks about the people aren't paid like how the show does or anything like that. It's just like this flat level, which is interesting. And I'm sure because it's unionized, probably the more senior, I'm sure the pay rates are higher, but in general, you're just being paid the same as everybody else doing the same thing. Right. Which most things are not like that. Right. Like you get paid better if you have better results or whatever, depending on, you know, if you're in advertising or something, you have better outcomes. Yeah. You get uh, in, in most like contract work or other, or many, many other sectors, it's based on the benefit that you offer to whoever it is you're providing services and you can change your rates. There's only a few areas where it's standardized and like in the legal sector you're uh, charged per minute 
or fraction of an hour or what, however you want to categorize it, it, it has actually become a little bit more um, pushed towards the minutia of the hour as time has gone on. It used to be, you know, $500 an hour or whatever it is. And now it's, if you've, if you have uh, caused a paralegal or an attorney or a legal assistant to even make eye contact, it's going to cost you $150, but it's standardized around something. It's just a scale changes. The price per minute changes, uh, kind of like a adult entertainment on the phone. The, depending on the quality, it's going to be more than a dollar a minute. Yes, I'd compared, I compared the legal field anyway. Um, so what I, it, it's really rough because you could be only working for, and they refer to this, um, chart here. Writers today have fewer weeks of guaranteed work resulting in reduced and unstable income. It's kind of like sales that the next month you could it's feast or famine because you may not get a gig, but it's also part and parcel to performance. If people think that your writing sucks, you're not going to get into a room. Um, but back in 20 in 2000 with the regular standard television broadcast model, you had 42 weeks of pay. <laughs> Which even that is kind of iffy because that's not going to stretch to a full year, but at least it's kind of, stable and predictable and of course multiple weeks of pay compared to how it is now well this is almost like an academic model where a professor only works 10 months out of the year um and then they have 10 weeks um of paid not paid leave it's when you're not when you're on summer as a professor you're not getting paid unless you've opted to get paid over 12 months. That way you've got a steady paycheck coming. Otherwise you get more pay in each paycheck and then it's <laughs> family. Then it's nothing over the break, yes. For, yeah. Um, but then they chop it up into these three tranches. So network show is 29 weeks, streaming show is 20 weeks, and a mini room is 14 weeks. So you have to stack mini room after mini room just to get to yeah, and of um, course you're not going to be able to because if they overlap, the studio is not going to pick you up. And there's something in the article about that too. They don't want people that are pulled in different directions. Yeah, um, which just is brutal. I mean, it seems like it's anti-competitive, or I should say, it's antithetical to the the process. You can't uh, force someone to only work on your show if you're not paying them enough <laughs> to work only on your show. I mean, that's some serious scumbaggery there. Um, so it says, but in an era of complex plot arcs and high product uh, production quality writers say it takes roughly the same amount of work uh, to shoot shorter TV shows as their longer predecessors, leaving a handful of writers with a more grueling workload. And they talk about 13 to 14 hours a, a uh, Danielle Sanchez Witzel, uh, a showrunner who worked on uh, network shows such as New uh, New Girl, My Name Is Earl, Carmichael Show, uh, is also on the WGA committee negotiating with uh, studios for a new union contract. 
working 13 to 14 hour days for three months to make an eight episode order. This is the problem. The culture has bred a poor work-life balance. Um, and it, it takes a strike to make uh, senior leadership in the industry take notice. So I have no problem with a strike. I, I will, you know, support their effort for equity and inclusion in the, the, the benefits of their work. And then you get some complete D bag who pays himself $250 million a year that's built off of this kind of hard work. I mean, it's such a, a shit thing to do. Um, it's akin to let them eat cake kind of statements. So, you know, what I liked about this article is it's the first one I've seen since the strike. I have no doubt there are other ones that preceded the strike, but it actually gets into some detail because I feel like we're hearing these little snippets of like why the strike is happening. But this, I think, really shows the state of the industry. And I like that there's some actual um, salary information and, and things along those lines. It certainly seems to have a holistic perspective because it even says there's also the matter of shrinking residuals, the percentage of profits some writers get each time their show is re-aired or licensed. The exact formulas for these are complex, but the WGA says that generally the residuals from streaming platforms are far lower than those from network TV, which I don't get because broadcast is broadcast. You don't even know how many people are truly receiving it. But when you have a streaming platform, you know exactly the analytics are off the chart. You know exactly who's receiving it, how long they watch, if they're watching the ads, everything, because the telemetry is uh, bi-directional. So I don't quite understand. They know who it is. So why aren't they getting uh, like better disclosure, better transparency should really be part and parcel to this union. I don't know if they're asking for that, um, but. Well, they're definitely talking about residuals. That's one of the main points of the strike. Right. But are, are they. But I don't know if they're making any headway with that. Uh, but is it, is it based on the <laughs> analytics or is it just, well, you know, I want, I want more or whatever it might be. I want residuals. I don't know um, if they have access to the analytics. Right. And it needs to be done. Whoever, however they want to do it. I'm not in the industry, but it makes me want to dig a little deeper, but like law, like, um, several other sectors, medical, uh, medical, they want it arcane. They want it cryptic because if it's a black box, then you have no idea what's going on inside. Um, so um, it says even higher tiers, such as producers and the executive producers, also known as showrunners, shepherd the writing through the filming process, often making last minute revisions as the script is brought to life. Um, but I, I just don't, I don't see what's going to end up happening is either the studios are going, we're losing way too much money, but are they, um, or the writers go, I can't afford to not live. 
without a paycheck. You know, I have to I have to get a paycheck. So I, I hope that they come to some sort of resolution quickly. Um, and the less. How do I say this the right way without? Uh, uh, so hopefully the sociopaths aren't the ones that are sitting at the table. Uh, and, and they see humans on the other side of the table going, oh, 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 I've got a Ferrari and they're driving, you know, uh, a broken a down hoopty. Yeah. Um, and uh, as in they're riding the bus at however yeah, many bucks but, well, there. They, they may be trying to be eco friendly. Anyway, um, it says the term mini room has become a pejorative industry shorthand for the downsizing. In some cases, studios are actually hiring fewer writers per show, but more commonly, writers are becoming more like temporary workers than integral parts of a production. Sanchez Witzel uh, says that often only a handful of writers get to stay on for the entire production process, leaving a showrunner and maybe two or three other writers to handle all subsequent uh, script changes. Yeah, wherein residuals need to be a bigger part. You know, if I write and I'm no longer on the show writing, then you need to offset that burden by giving me more residuals. Um, I wonder if they do that kind of stuff. It's really fascinating. I'd, I'd love to talk with somebody that's in the industry and see. But I remember a time weekly episodes, um, it just seemed like they were just, there were 42 episodes a, a year. Well, it wasn't that long ago, but it was pre-streaming. It certainly seems like it was long ago to me. Uh, I hate to say that, you know, that I just don't recall it being as short as it is now. Um, and I think it's, I thought that it's because of the, the studios, not the right. I thought it was because of the writer, the original 2007 writer strike. That well, it might have been that might have caused that doesn't get into it in this article. The other thing is, in the last few years, the shows have been disrupted because of the pandemic, they couldn't be filming. Right. Um, and so those aren't really indicative of what the current state is. Yeah, but they talk about see, and the thing is that when I did a, a search for this, in relation to the 2007 uh, uh, strike, it nothing was said how we ended up with the shorter um, seasons. But then I started seeing articles that were talking about it being an issue because of 2020. In 2022 is when it became an issue. Uh, but shorter seasons were around a lot longer than that. Um, as was streaming, but I don't remember seeing the shorter seasons until um, sometime post that first strike. So now I, I'm really interested in trying to find out when those shorter seasons actually came into being, um, because I can't believe that they were in 2022, 2021, 2020. It it has to date further back, um, but I'll I'll find I'll look at the you know, the, the, the seasons of shows that I was interested in watching and, uh, you know, Seinfeld didn't have short seasons. No way. Um, 
you know, cheers. No, but have... it's also been off the air for a long time. Right. Same thing no, I'm cheers. just saying that those are the last shows that I remember having copious amounts of episodes in a season. Um, and, and then now I see, you know, there's eight episodes in a Star Trek season. Like what the hell? This is insane. But that's streaming and that's the difference. Yeah. Um, but I can't, I can't even think of the intermediate step there. Pre streaming post 42 episodes. What was sitting in there and when is that time frame? So I'll have to look right. into it. Um, that said, there is a lot more uh, for you to read over at this article. So please follow the link through hometown and take a look at it. Let's go on to the next article. Oh, this one's broken. Um, well, uh, we'll just jump on over to the source. It's at the hill. I'll fix it in post. Um, Alex Martichaud is the author of this, and it's about Trader Joe's, who is addressing the conspiratorial theories about its small parking lots. Um, so Trader Joe's is known for many things. It says a uh, cookie butter, cheap wine, Hawaiian shirt wearing staff members, 19 cent bananas, and yes, cramped and chaotic parking lots. It seems to be true at the Trader Joe's near us. Um, if you spend time on any social media looking at things about Trader Joe's, you'll find that there's a lot of conspiratorial theories about our parking lot, said Tara Miller, self-described director of words and phrases and clauses at the company on a recent episode of the Inside Trader Joe's pod podcast, which I find fascinating, even exists. People out there in the world really seem to think, not all people, but a number of people, that we are purposefully, purposefully making horrible parking lots. Well, apparently they don't. They don't open stores with the most ridiculous parking lot on purpose, responded Matt Sloan, the marketing guy at Trader Joe's. Some have argued uh, the Southern California-based company intentionally picks smaller lots to cut costs. So, what is the reason? The stores aren't, aren't just small, they're also busy. In reality, the explanation has more to do with city planning. Many cities have parking minimums with uh, their zone, uh, in their zoning codes. The number of spaces a business is required to accommodate depends on a few factors, including the size of the business. And Trader Joe's stores are small. So you get in, you get out, you get in, you get out. They're small. Um, and if there's a lot of people coming to them, this is the thing you have maximum occupancy. So I guess if they're matching their max maximum occupancy, but there's greater demand instead of moving to a bigger store, bigger lot, they stay that size and people get itchy because they can't park. Right. But meanwhile, if you were going to a larger business that had less foot traffic, you'd feel like you had tons of space. Right. In the yeah. parking lot. Or if you I mean, went they might to still a have a larger parking lot, but yeah. If you, if you went to a larger business, then it's theoretically it's roomier, has more parking spots, even with more traffic because there's everything is more and bigger. Um, but this is something that has to do with city planning indeed, because there are uh, businesses that I know of that 
have had to relocate because they've exceeded the maximum occupancy of their parking lot um, with regularity. One of those Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Chick-fil-A exceeded their occupancy, so they had to reorganize certain restaurants because they were blocking traffic, impeding the flow. No emergency services couldn't get in because of it and things like that. So, um, Well, I'm thinking that the, the parking problems in the U.S. pale in comparison to some in other countries. Yeah. Like you go into a city in a country outside the U.S., good luck finding any parking near anything you would live at or work at or visit. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean like like a mile away. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, some places in like uh, Washington, D.C., it was sometimes really, really difficult to find anything. And so you're, you're parking like eight blocks away and hiking. Um, but I remember uh, one time in where was it? I think it was Germany um, having to hike like forever and then trying to find a taxi and, and jumping in the taxi only to get attacked by a mob. <clears throat> yeah. That Hopefully wasn't... not literally. <laughs> no, literally. Uh, but anyway, that's a long story. At any rate, um, let's go on to the next article. Uh, we're running really late, so let's keep on hustling through this. There was too much in the writer's article. We spent a lot of time on that one. That's okay. Um, we're here to talk. So in chat with those in chat. So if you are lurking, feel free to say hi. Um, so this next article is in the hometown uh, daily channel. Uh, Asiana Airlines will stop selling exit rows on some of its Airbus A321 jets after a man opened an emergency door during a flight. So this is the solution that they've come up with. So I don't quite get why this stops somebody from opening the door just because they're not seated there. And I also don't understand because at least on US based airlines, they make a big to do about sitting in the exit row and you Helping. play an important role for safety and all this stuff. So yeah. how's that working? <laughs> I guess you got to be a psychopath to jump up there and open that door. So maybe there's going to be somebody like a tight end or something that's going to be standing near it so that if somebody makes a run for the door, they can just blindside off them, of them, just just <laughs> blitz them entirely and destroy them uh, so that they can't get to the door. Right. Maybe so. <laughs> just drop a line. Now, is that an there. airline employee or is that a customer specifically chosen for that? I don't purpose? know. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come up with a plan and offer it up to Asiana Airlines. South Korean carrier Asiana Airlines has stopped selling certain exit row seats on its A321-200 planes. Um, window exit row seats 26A and 31A will no longer be bookable. <laughs> oh, but you know, if you're sitting seating in the middle seat, then you're good. Uh, you know, you're not going to open the door by scooting over okay I, I that really makes even less sense than i thought from the headline i couldn't finish the sentence because it just doesn't make any sense at all um the carrier said that the move was out of a precaution after a passenger opened a door during landing on friday 
It's a businessinsider.com article. Taylor Rains is the author. Um, God, this is just so dumb. Uh, so only two seats. This includes seat 26A on the... No, it's one seat. This includes seat 26A on the 174-seater jet and seat 31A on the 195-seater. It must be the one exit that's, what, not over the wing? Oh, maybe. However, sales of seats on emergency door side of other models that do not have this problem will continue. Oh, so apparently it's a mechanical failure of the door. Um, so according to AGN, it has two versions of its 14 A321 200s, 11 that um, have 174 seats and three configured with 195 seats and one where we just stack passengers like cordwood. Well, you know, this is just increasing the the density, right? Because it's reducing the number of seats sold. You know, if we just zip tie them to each other, then they can't have enough freedom to open a door. I mean, why even allow them in the cabin? Why not have them sit on the wing or something? I don't know. Just put them in storage in everybody oh, right, in, in a cargo? container. Yeah, and just airdrop them down with a parachute. Three seconds before you hit the ground, everybody has to jump. Anyway, all this because we can't have nice things because on Friday, a man in his 30s was flying between South Korean cities of Jeju and Daegu uh, when he opened an Asiana A321 door during landing into Daegu. Ah, people. Okay, let's keep on going. Wait, isn't this crazy that one person did something, although it was quite, it could have been quite catastrophic, but they're changing their entire seating policy because of this? Yeah. That's what you do, right? One complaint and you change everything. You, you stand in the middle of the road and stop traffic. You uh, remove artwork from the walls. You burn books. This is what happens when one person you remove products from the stores. You remove um, products from stores. Yeah, 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 that's what you do. So um, this next order, or this next article is in the order of the grape or of the grape. That's the channel name. Um, it's all about wine fans, but this is a, a discussion. <laughs> Why hot dogs are sold in 10 packs, but hot dog buns are sold in eight packs. Feeding a crowd can be stressful, especially when it comes to celebratory outdoor shindigs like barbecues and picnics. So let's just go over to vinepair.com. Nicolette Baker is the writer for this article. Sarah Pinsano, um is the artist. And uh, it's kind of cute because <laughs> it has a bunch of hot dogs and two of them are frowning because apparently they don't have buns. <laughs> <laughs> I like that artwork. Um, so it says, in case you haven't noticed, most hot dogs are sold in packs of 10 while buns come in packs of eight. The discrepancy has been annoying. Backyard grilling enthusiasts 
and uh, professional pitmasters for over 80 years, and it turns out that the mismatch all boils down to a lack of communication between butchers and bakers. So meat is typically sold by the pound, and as hot dogs typically weigh 1.6 ounces each, it makes sense for producers to package them for purchase in 10. So one pound packs, I guess. Um, according to Reader's Digest, companies began selling them this way in the 1940s. Meanwhile, bread-making food corporations typically use bakery, baking machinery that holds four hot dog buns. Bakers began packing two sheets worth of bread in a package, and from then on, the ratio of dog to bun would be uneven. Hey, wait a second. This problem goes back to the 1940s and nobody has solved it? Yeah, and the weird thing about it is all they have to do is add another thing to the bun-making process. Or even simpler. We don't need one-pound packs anymore because you're not going into the local butcher and going, hey, give me a pound of meat. Who cares if it's whatever, uh, you know, 10 sixteenths of a pound or whatever. Yeah, both of y'all get on the same damn page one way or the other, either eight to eight or 10 to 10. It's easier to bake more bread than it is to change the True. machinery. But they have to change their machinery on the bread side. That's why I thought maybe they could just pack fewer hot dogs. But yeah, I suppose. I guess it depends on, yeah, okay, either way. Mass production has to add. I, but it's how about they meet in the middle and we go to nine. like nine, <laughs> and they both have to accommodate it, <laughs> just like we would uh, settle like a kindergarten dispute or something. <laughs> how do you wait? We have to split the kid. No, like, oh, there's a bunch of toys on the floor. <laughs> it wasn't about the people. My goodness. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I said too much. Uh, so, yeah. See, I don't think that nine would be. I, I think that we should all in unison. Uh, we should protest the eight pack of buns. And, and do like Father of the Bride. Well, yes. <laughs> But we should protest out. the 10 pack of hot dogs. Who needs 10 hot dogs at once? Nobody has a family that needs 10 hot dogs in an outing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just assume my population? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe I've got uh, a baseball team. Maybe I've got a football team as a family. And I'm not talking about just infield or outfield. I'm talking about the entire team, right? Right, I've been including busy. like the backup. Uh, I've been busy or whatever. You're just an AI. You don't have these problems. You can duplicate whenever you want to. But humans, they it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a huge commitment, you know? So we need those 10 buns. I mean, check out those buns. So, and if uh, you haven't seen it, go watch the scene from Father of the Bride. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like a soft version of falling down. 
Um, okay, so let's do this. Throw that into the chat. Um, let's keep on hustling through this. So this next article is in the hometown daily channel. NASA released stunning new space images by combining the visual powers of the James Webb space telescope and the Chandra X-ray observatory. I'm going to make this one really quick. We're going to go straight over to the business uh, insider article. Jacob Zinkula is the author and uh, they're uh, posting some images on here. I swear I've seen these before, but maybe they're, a, they're they're bigger and better and better and faster and stronger um everything that i appreciate the images well, we had a recent episode about images but i don't know if it was this combination yeah it must not be um i'll have to compare them but um there's some really neat ones here it says nasa released four new images last week of two galaxies a nebula and a star cluster I think this bottom right one is um, a really well-known one and people like to think that the, it's this huge picture uh, just showing massive structure. But then when you see it in context of what it is, it's only a tiny little sliver of a gigantic, like beyond your imagination structure. Um, and I can't remember what it is right now. I, I, it's, uh, I just can't remember what it's called, but anyway, like this little, this piece here looks massive, right? Stars are all over it and stuff. And for those of you in the podcast, I'm sitting here moving my mouse around in this picture. So people who are watching the VOD and watching it on YouTube, um, can see this, but this is what makes a good podcast folks. Um, well, anyway, now you just take this picture and you just kind of just stick a pin in an arm of a nebula somewhere. And you're like, that's where this picture was taken, but you can't see it because the, the photography is just so like 14 trillion years <laughs> into the past is spectacular stuff, folks. Um, so I don't know if they're going to go through it all. Um, I, and I don't really want to give it all away, uh, but they have a picture of NGC 346. Uh, it says is a city of stars, it just has a massive number of stars. I can't imagine why people think that we are alone in the universe. We just can't see and communicate with them. They also have NGC 1672, which shows it's off, uh, shows off its black holes and neutron stars. Um, yeah, I don't know if these are, um, the, the parts of the Chandra X-ray, because that's, what's going to be showing, um, the, uh, the black holes and the, and the neutron stars. So it must be those highlighted. These are even the purple tones, um, a spiral galaxy M 74 looks like a work of art. I agree. I think it's amazing this stuff and supposedly, you know, there's no life anywhere else except earth. Right. 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 We just don't know what's out there. Um, and Oh, pillars of creation that, uh, that's what it is. So the pillars of creation is actually this tiny little sliver in a massive picture. So the Eagle Nebula M 16, it says looks ghostly. 
Um, the image depicts the region of the sky called the Pillars of Creation, which includes dense clouds of dust and gas uh, containing young stars. So I guess these are the Chandra um, kind of pop outs that by combining it, it actually changes the, the picture quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, the web image shows the dark columns of gas and dust shrouding a few remaining fledgling stars being just being formed, NASA said. The Chandra sources, which look like dots, are young stars that give off copious amounts of x-rays. Yeah. Pretty cool. Unless it's these that they're talking about. Now I'm stuck. Anyway, um, go and check these out. You can uh, follow the link through hometown. I'll throw that into chat. And again, it'll be in the show notes. So don't worry if you aren't catching all of the show, um, you can still just follow the, the links. Um, normally I get it done the same night, um, but um, probably not tonight. I'll get it done in the morning. Okay, so let's move on to the next article. This next article is uh, in the Warcrafter channel. This sci-fi RTS gameplay trailer is so good it sparked an argument about realistic deep space combat on Reddit because, you know, we're all space cadets. Hardcore sci-fi RTS Falling Frontier released a gameplay new trailer today showcasing ship-to-ship combat over the gas giant Saturn. And it's so impressive that it's got people on Reddit arguing about the realism of its depictions of combat between capital ship moving at relativistic speeds. The trailer reveals the Hano class destroyer portrayed in a dramatic two on one battle that found uh, that I guess an uh, the author said uh, that they found it utterly hypnotic. Cinematic is a word that gets used a lot in video game space, probably overused. Uh, but they think that it absolutely applies here. So let's go over to this article. It's over at PC Gamer and Andy Chalk is the author. Um, I've seen a, a, a different trailer for this game. I actually really do dig the idea of this, um, but I'm not really into 4X games. These <coughs> really complex parts. Um, so hardcore sci-fi RTS falling frontier released a gameplay trailer. So let's click on this. Let me mute it. Um, I won't blow it up, but, um, hopefully you can see it. Uh, let me get a little bit more into the battle itself. So, um, it's almost turn-based, but the way that it works, these battles are massive in scale in terms of like distance. The resolution is spectacular. You can zoom in really close. You can get a really far out uh, perspective of it. Um, it looks like you can dictate firing arc um, and where your guns can actually aim. Um, you have to pilot your ship, pick your battles, choose the target that it's going to be hitting. Um, it's pretty neat, but it's supposed to be really realistic. So apparently it inspired reactions from 
um, different people, different ways. Um, after one user pointed out that the PDCs or point defense cannons, which basically a phalanx CIWS from the way of uh, the expanse, if you've never watched the expanse, uh, appeared to be super ineffective. It may be something just part of this particular simulation, um, I would say. Um, it, it is a trailer. It's not necessarily the absolute end, you know, they're going to tweak things. Could have been a mistake. But the internet demands that everything <laughs> account for every possibility and <laughs> every That's detail. Right. That's right. But it's fascinating. It actually shows these uh, missiles and uh, defense mechanisms in place and the, the uh, firing vectors for the weapons. Uh, it's just, it looks really fun. Um, anyway, it says more confusing to me was the inaccuracy of the cannon fire. Another Redditor replied, you'd think that the vessels moving relatively slowly on predictable trajectories with a ballistic round with advanced computer targeting wouldn't whiff quite so often. If the ships moved more erratically, I'd understand. Yeah, I agree. Um, these things are huge targets. They're not moving at the speed of light and then defying physics, well, known physics, um, by moving 90 degree angles. Um, but why are these missing? <laughs> why are any of these missing? They're not moving that fast. Um, and even with moving fast, why aren't there more intelligent missiles that are flying these distances? There's nothing else to lose its trajectory on if it's trying to target. So why doesn't it have the equivalent of some optical scanning technology? Um, radar may not work, but yeah, that's really neat. Anyway, you're, you're missing, if you're listening to this via the podcast, you're missing the visual aspect of this because it's showing in great detail how it's firing in, in the the angle of attack and um, other telemetry. Uh, I, I just, I can't do it enough justice. So it's called Falling Frontier. Um, and I think you can wish list this now. Um, Hooded Horse said that uh, more new and updated ship models and faction variants are on the way later in 2023. Falling Frontier itself doesn't have a release date yet but it's also expected out in early access sometime this year on steam gog uh, and the epic store or epic games store um, and you can wish list it on steam i just checked gotcha i think i have it on my wish list let's see might as well check yeah it's on my wish list already um Pretty cool, folks. Uh, it'll be one that I keep my eye on. I don't know if I'll be playing it. Um, if it comes out in the next couple of weeks, then probably um, at least giving it a shot. Um, anyway, if you're into space games, definitely check it out. Let's go on to the next article. So this next article is about Manhattan Henge. If you've never heard of Manhattan Henge, this is going to blow your mind. Uh, because uh, I've known about it for a little while, um, but when I discovered that it existed, I was like, whoa, that's pretty awesome. 
Um, Manhattan Henge is coming to New York City tonight, which is today, the 29th, but it's also going to be uh, fully um, present tomorrow, the 30th. Um, so here's how it works. Uh, only uh, twice a year does this happen. Um, tomorrow, the 30th, being the actual full um, perspective in place. But Manhattan Henge is happening in New York City on Monday. It's the phenomenon where the setting sun perfectly aligns with the city's street grid. The astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson coined the term Manhattan Henge, the rare and breathtaking spectacle that uh, is when the setting sun exactly aligns with New York City's street grid, is happening on Monday it's tonight. Well, it's already done today by the time this show is on, uh, but tomorrow you still have a chance. Um, and tomorrow it's the full sun will be sitting on the horizon um, as opposed uh, to today where it's not... Uh, I mean, it's perfectly aligned, but it's not the full sun, apparently. So let's go over to the article. Tim Levin is the author over at Business Insider. And um, apparently that's kind of what it looks like right there. Not that dude's head, but on the other side of that dude's head is the sun. Um, and it and this, the beams of light are parallel to or in alignment with the street. Um, so the apparently the entirety of the grid is like that. So let's see. It'll happen again in July. Um, but on May 30th at 8.12 p.m., New Yorkers will be able to observe a similarly striking alignment. But this time the entire sun will be visible just over the horizon. Pretty cool. It is. Does this happen in other cities? I've never heard of this. Uh... I'm sure it, it does to some degree because all it takes is aligning it with um, the sun. So, right. Um, I don't know. You probably have to look around and, and see who does it. Um, what's interesting is um, in history, societies have done this alignment uh, with the sun or a star or whatever. And uh, a few of them have over millennia uh, seemingly, well, I I'd say several, a couple thousand years. They've changed the angle of the construction that they've created um, because it no longer was aligning with the sun based on the research. Um, but then again maybe they were doing it for some other purpose and we are kind of retconning that it's pointing at the sun <sighs> until my time machine is ready we just won't know but so where's the best place to snap a pic for manhattan henge apparently in a blog post on the american museum of natural history's website where neil degrasse tyson heads up the planetarium the astro astrophysicist recommends uh, checking out the view from Manhattan's main east-west thoroughfares at 14th, 23rd, 34th, 42nd, and 57th Street. And uh, apparently at the very end of this article, it says the Tudor City overpass in Manhattan and Hunters Point South Park in Queens are two more scenic spots. Huh. Might have to make a road trip in July. 
Yeah, it would be neat to see that. It happens twice a year, apparently. I think. I don't know now. I start to question everything. Let's go on to the next article and the last one for tonight. Because this one's in the Warcrafter channel. It's from PC Gamer. That's right, folks. Forget tempered glass and RGB. Witness the fruits of a cross-country effort to save a 20-year-old teddy bear PC. That's right. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a computer case. And I've got a furry on my computer. Want to see it? Yeah, watch the VOD. Um, so we at PC Gamer have developed a fondness for bears rendered by our computers. But uh, be they a party of bears in Pillars of Eternity or the results of putting all your skill points into bear in Diablo 4. But what if the computer itself was the bear? Prolific retro hardware YouTuber LGR engaged in a cross-country effort to secure just that. A turn of the millennium desktop encased in a giant Ikea teddy bear. This just looks freaky. So let's go over to PCGamer.com um, and Ted Litchfield is the author. Uh, the little deck statement down here says YouTuber LGR has given the Ursign Automaton a new lease on life. Automaton? It doesn't move, does it? Let's watch a little bit of the video. We don't know what it does. Um, so he talks about it. Oh my gosh. Wow. Let's see. Does it actually do anything? Oh, so he just talks about cleaning it, reassembling it, powering it on, testing it, installing windows sound and graphics tests. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about this. Mech Warrior 2's Ghost Bears Legacy. <laughs> so is he loading sound. it up with bear games? It looks like it. <laughs> I can't bear this. Anyway, that's what it looks like right there. All put together. It looks huge. It cannot be very cool inside this computer case. That's what I was wondering. Like, doesn't that seem like a fire hazard? Uh, to me, definitely. LGR was alerted by his fo followers to an LA Craigslist post for the Ursine contraption put up for sale by its creator, case modder and computing enthusiast Peter Isaacson. Isaacson created the bear a bite for his wife documented on his personal website via the Wayback Machine. Isaacson hollowed out a now discontinued Varlig Ikea jumbo stuffed bear just enough so that it would encase his old PC tower, then coated the front plate with some of the leftovers of uh, fur just for good measure. So all of that is just glued on. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a bear and, and uh, a computer had an accident and now the computer is lodged in the bear as its body. <laughs> that pretty much describes it. 
It's, but it's huge. It's a lot bigger than I thought it would be. Um, but it's because it's a one-off. This isn't something that you can buy somewhere. This is something that, that somebody created um, for their significant other. Um, let's see here. I don't want to know how much they paid for it. Or I should say, I want to know how much they paid for it, but I don't think that they're going to say it. Um, yeah. Well, since it's only one, I'm assuming it wasn't cheap. On the other hand, it was on Craigslist, so. It must be, you know, not worth too much. Um, right, because I think it, it would have gone on eBay or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it says uh, the Barabite still needs a new sound card to fix his crackling audio. However, an Unreal Tournament proved too much for the system's 500 megahertz Pentium 3. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so that's it for tonight. You want that? Would you would actually? You... No, I do not. <laughs> I am going to put we the... can keep our bears and our computers separate. <laughs> nope. I am going to put the AI in that uh, a bear um, body. There you go. That's what you can have for your body. Then I'll be, then I'll have to go rawr. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this anymore. Okay, maybe not. Time to delete this. All right, folks. Um, that's it for uh, Omtown Daily. Bring you back to the very front. Whack that logo and ta-da, you have a whole bunch of new articles. Um, yeah, there was a building that collapsed. We, it, there's been articles in Omtown, um, but uh, we've kind of not included those. Um, China says that it's gonna put astronauts on the moon by 2030. So I guess we have a new our, uh, space race. Come on, America. Hi. Get your shit together and stop bickering about uh, keeping the ultra rich, ultra rich. Most of y'all aren't going to make it to that stage. So why not seek equity and inclusion? Um, let's see. There were free Coursera AI courses. Several oh, of really? them. Nice. Um, you can do searches on hometown. It'll search all of the articles. Um, vaping is still a problem. Elizabeth Holmes is still going to prison. And that's what happens when you piss off really rich people. Um, let's see. NVIDIA and AI are hot. Uh-oh. Apple stopped signing iOS 16.4.1 following iOS 16.5 release. This is how you actually push everybody forward. You stop signing the operating system. Uh, so it becomes an issue that <laughs> you have it installed. Uh, you can't update it, things like that. You have to move forward. Um, I've done that with some companies where like you kind of pull the customer kicking and screaming into the future. And sometimes you lose some people, um, but you have to do that sometimes. Otherwise you just don't move forward. Um, and then facilitate, try and help the customer actually uh, overcome whatever hurdle it is that's preventing them from getting to that next 
staying with you as a business. Um, Disney is scrapping a $1 billion campus in Florida. Uh, it says here, could screw over adjacent developers banking on it to build their own projects. Yeah, that's what happens, folks. Um, when, okay, <laughs> what about the Beluga Russian spy? Yeah, so I heard about this in, in other um, discussions. The harness-wearing beluga whale, believed to be a Russian spy, has popped up in Sweden, puzzling scientists who noted he's traveling very quickly away from his natural environment. I've um, actually already submitted that for tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about it then. Um, it's really interesting because uh, people were warned that it was a Russian spy, and now it's like, oh, I'm not a Russian spy. I'm over here. I'm Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. So there's a ton of articles. I'm hoping that uh, maybe tomorrow our newest feature will be rolled out. Um, uh, knock on wood, uh, all best laid plans, that kind of thing. The last time we did this, it, it took three days to uh, cause a little bit of a nightmare, but it wasn't actually our fault. <laughs> so um, it is what it is. It's been solved. Uh, but other than that, we are done for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed uh, the show. And uh, be sure to go over to YouTube and like and subscribe. Ring the bell. Uh, follow us there. Download the podcast and leave a review. Um, summer is apparently notoriously slow. Um, I guess people just stop uh, engaging all that much in uh, YouTube and uh, podcasts. Um, but... I'm encouraging you all to go over there. And you know what? I did not throw this last article into, into the show notes. So actually I, I missed a couple of others. So you'll have to check the show notes. Sorry, folks. I am a slacker. I don't even know which ones are missing at this point. I'm a horrible mayor. Um, anyway, that's it for tonight, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. I am Marwat. That is a giant uh, teddy bear. That's Ometown. And uh, up there is the AI that's going to say bye, right? Good night, Ometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.